So, so you can that's, share. That's, that's a great way for to share that praise with everybody. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right. Else ready for top ten out there? Excellent, excellent. Lindy is in the cage tonight. Now you get to make fun of me. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, Jake, I'm going to need a little bit of help because uh, the internet is running way slow here tonight. So I'm going to need a little bit of help for me. So our top ten, we like uh, humor. We believe in humor. Uh, we think humor is very important to our relationship with God. And so we do a top ten every week where uh, we come up with a topic. We put it out on Wednesday. And then all you smart Alex, do I have any smart Alex in the room? Any? Okay, let's have a support group. Hi, my name is Todd, and I'm a smart aleck. All right, so, uh, and, and so then we make all of our comments, and so our top 10 topic for this week is top 10 signs school is oh, back in oh, session yeah. again, again. Here it is again. Yes. Oh, uh, no, it's oh. teachers aren't that excited. All right, here we go. Number 10 sign school is back in session is this. Bus drivers take to the roads to practice blocking traffic all morning. Yeah, that's right. I think they work on that. They it's work. Like, they how drive, can I? Yeah, they drive real slow by the I, skinniest road and stop. And just stop. And yeah. then they put out that little extra stop thing yeah, just right. to and then make laugh sure to block you. it. And laugh <laughs> at you. <laughs> they don't have any students in there. No. They're not picking anybody up. Not They're yet. just enjoying no, themselves. They're just laughing right. at you. Number nine, <laughs> sign school's back in session is this. The principal has already verified all your contact information just in case oh, your yeah. kid holds up to your reputation. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Wow. This bad. Wow. Yeah. You know. They got your attorney's name in there. And... <laughs> They're like, I went to high school with this guy. Yeah, let's, right, yeah. let's make sure that, okay, that's that. never good. All right. Number eight, sign school's back in session happens to be Walmart replaced their display of snorkel equipment and beach umbrellas for trapper keepers and compasses. Oh, yes. I'm so glad I don't have to buy trapper keepers anymore. I know. So That's they great. still make those, right? Justin yeah. said they make yes. those. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. I was able right. to send my kid in there by himself this time to buy. A You're like, go. go. Here's some uh, money. Leave me alone. All right. I love there you. you. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. Number seven. Yeah. Sign school is back in session. Is this your car has gas in it? Oh so, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're not driving all over, running That's your right. kids all over. I'm bored. You're going to yeah, run them all yeah. over. It's like, I got gas. That's all right. nice. That's yeah. good. Finally. Right. Yep. Finally. Great. All right. Number six, science school's back in session is Starbucks is empty now that the English teachers and the art teachers have returned to work. Oh. So that's, there you go. Oh, it's just, boy. It's, just, it's a true statement, is it not? It's a true statement. All right, all right. Oh, wow. Number five, science school is back in session. Happens to be. Number five, traffic is backed up and you haven't even left your development. Yeah. I live in a cul-de-sac across from an elementary school. You do live in a bad spot. It's just not good. It is not good. I, I actually kind of celebrated when the school closed last year for just a little bit. Yeah, just yeah. A, I'm sorry you had those problems. Yes! Okay, I live across from Meeker, and they had all those water problems. They've been closed all year. All right, number four, science school is back in session. Is this, the house stays clean all day. Oh, yeah. Yes! Yeah. It's amazing. It's yes. like I cleaned it, and it's still clean. That's just amazing. All That's right, awesome, here we go. Huh? Number three, science school is back in session. Happens to be... There we go. There's actually food in the house there again. You go. Yes. Another one. Another. Look yeah. at all these benefits. I mean, parents are like, yes. Yes, I got. I can okay. snack and don't have to hide it from the kids. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, don't have to take the potato chips in the closet and eat them anymore. Are you a closet potato <laughs> chip eater? Yeah, is that what you're? Okay. When my right. kids home, I am. All right, there you go. It's like I don't. I haven't seen any good food. All right. Number two, science school's back in session. It says that kid who wouldn't comb his hair or change his uh, socks all of a sudden needs $90 sneakers and enough office supplies to run a small business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Woo-wee. 
Holy smokes. All right. oh, they didn't even take a shower all summer. All right. <laughs> and the number one sign, school. This back in session is the city of Greeley has started road construction in all of the school zones. Yes. We all know it, don't we? Yeah, we all it know it. It is always true. It's always true. I just, I don't get it. It's one of those things that Greeley is famous for, isn't it? It is. It is. It's I, crazy. I, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't no, understand I don't it, but whatever. Either. All right. All right. Uh, and I gave Justin a bad time because he typed that in there and it just says, sit of Greeley. Not the sit. Oh. It's a sit. I said, what's the sit of Greeley? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, all right. All right. He's nice not try. here for me nice to harass him again. All right, there we go. All right. Why don't you pray for us? Let's get going. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to come to a place called the Armory and get uh, rearmed and re uh, readjusted here and rested for uh, our week. And we thank you that you have come here too because your word says where two or more of us gather, that you're there also. I often think about how you must look down on us when we're laughing and having fun and, and just smile and think, Mom, my kids are having a good time. So, Father, we thank you for tonight. We ask that the Holy Spirit just fill this place and change us. Bless our pastor tonight as he speaks your word. Let us learn. Let us be molded by what is said in here. We thank you and we love you in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's kids said. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, Jake. Buckle up and hold on. At our church, we love God. Make no mistake about that. At our church, we believe in God's radical, unconditional, and unwavering love for us. At our church, we believe that Jesus is God. We also affirm that you may or may not believe that Jesus is God. And we're not asking you to change your belief system before you attend our church. We're simply inviting you on a journey toward Jesus. For years, churches have placed a high priority on Jesus as the get-out-of-hell-free card. At our church, we place the highest priority on Jesus as a live-life-to-the-fullest invitation. At our church, we believe every person has a dream deep inside their hearts, and that God put that dream there, not for our glory, but for His. At our church, we're not concerned with where you've been, but where you're going. At our church, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. It is real. It is living. It is active. We believe that people who don't go to church anywhere are not the enemy. They are real people who need the perfect love that only God can give. And we believe that God gives this love through, of all people, us. At our church, we do not and we will not display a holier-than-thou attitude toward anyone. We are all broken people, but he is putting us back together. And finally, and most importantly, at our church, we believe that Jesus really lived, that he really died on the cross, and that he really rose again on the third day. And we cannot and we will not candy coat or water down that message, ever. Today, you've chosen to sit yourself in the middle of a very safe place to hear a potentially dangerous message. Welcome to our church. All right. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It is good to see all of your smiling faces, as Danny said a couple of moments ago. And I just want to uh, thank you for joining us, for being here tonight, uh, for choosing to come and to grow in your walk, to come and to, to grow closer to each other, to make tonight your priority. Uh, and I also just want to say something. I try to say it once in a while because I mean it. Uh, I am honored to share life with you. Uh, I just, I just, th I am so proud to be a part of this community uh, and to be a part of, of these relationships. And so, thank you, thank you for being here tonight. 
Hey, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Todd. I'm one of the teaching elders here at Waypoints, and I get the privilege of just leading the conversation tonight, so welcome. Uh, we're glad that uh, you are here, and we just want to encourage you to, to sit back and to relax and to be yourself. Uh, we have one basic rule around here, and that is that we take Jesus very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously at all. Uh, I, I think way too many people, especially people of faith, uh, take themselves way too seriously. Um, and so uh, if you're joining us online uh, through our YouTube channel or our website, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Thank you for logging on. So tonight, my friends, we're going to take another step in this amazing journey that we're simply calling Breakthrough. It is the stu study of God breaking through into our worlds, breaking through into the human story, breaking through into our individual lives. And we're using as our guide on this journey uh, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we kind of have a, a man crush on Luke around here. Uh, we really love Luke. Uh, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. Uh, he's an educated man. He's a doctor. Uh, and he's a historian. And he tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, that he sets out to gather all of the information, to interview the eyewitnesses, so that you and I can be confident of the truth in which we are being taught. And I think that's so huge. I think it's so important for you and I to understand that the Bible is not just some spiritual book that teaches some moral truths. It is a historical document that these are real people, that these are real events, that Jesus was a real person who lived in a real world, who had real encounters with real people. And I think it's so important for us to know that and, and to understand that, embrace that. And so tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. So I finally got that work in there, Jake. Uh, chapter 9. And so if you would please uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And if you didn't bring one tonight, that's totally okay. Uh, first of all, you can use one of the Bibles we provided for you on the table. And if you want to use one of those blue things, we're on page 622. Uh, and if you uh, want to stick with your phone and use the digital copy, you can download a little app that's simply called Version. It looks like that in the lower left-hand corner. It says Holy Bible. Uh, and once you have that downloaded, you can search for live events. Just type in waypoints. Uh, and uh, with some of the Wi-Fi things going on because of the storm, you may have to shut off your Wi-Fi to make that work. But it's there, I promise you. It's working on my phone. It's there. So uh, you can do that. Now, as you're turning there, as you're finding one of those couple of different spots there, I want to give you some information that you're going to need. It's kind of the setup to where we are in the narrative of Jesus, the story uh, of Jesus. Now, first of all, the event in which you and I are about to read through and to experience is written in all four Gospels. It's one of those rare events that all four of them cover, and I think that's important because when all four of them cover, it, it helps us to know this is a big deal, all right? And because it's a big deal, I'm going to add a couple of verses from the other Gospels so that you and I get a full picture of everything that is taking place. Uh, the second thing I want to mention is uh, the Gospels help us to understand when you take all four Gospels and you take each of the verses out and you place them in chronological order, um, it, it helps us to understand that we're about a year into Jesus's ministry. Uh, John himself in his Gospel helps us to know that when Jesus arrives on the scene and performs his first miracle, taking water and turning it into wine, that it was during the Passover or right before Passover. And now when John records this event, he tells us it's right before the next Passover. So he gives us a good understanding that Jesus has been doing his thing for, for about a year now. 
Uh, and during that year, he's gained quite the reputation, a huge following of people. Uh, he's created some strong dislike, especially from the religious establishment, uh, and they, some even maybe some hatred. Uh, Jesus' ministry is in full swing. And then the third thing I just want to help us to set up is where we are in this story. Last week, we ended on verse 10 in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel. And it said this. It said, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them uh, towards the town of Bethsaida. Now, I want to look at a map. I think it's important for us to, to understand the geography. Uh, in fact, I like to say, if you want to understand Jesus' words and actions, you have to understand his worlds, all right? And that also includes some geography, some archaeology, those sorts of things. And so we'll put up a little map here. Uh, we've been uh, right around Capernaum. We've been all over the kind of Sea of Galilee in the last few weeks. And tonight we're kind of slipping away from Capernaum up a little bit north there to Bethsaida. Next week we're going to go a little bit further north up the Jordan River, but um, Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida um, is, a, is a small, quiet little town. Uh, Mark tells us in his gospel that it's actually outside of the city in a solitary place on green grass. Uh, and that's kind of easy to, to know and to understand because Bethsaida is uh, built on some rolling green hills. Uh, and outside of Bethsaida, the traditional site of where this takes place is this large green uh, pasture area. This is the traditional site. Uh, and uh, here's just a little bit of uh, archaeology uh, to kind of give you that's some of the foundations of the little village of Bethsaida that archaeologists work on and to give us even more evidence that the Gospels are, are real and, and, and serious. And I think that's why it's good to look at maps and pictures. So uh, how about one more last thing? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you to do a favor. Why don't you go ahead and open your programs? If you've got a program from Brian or Roger tonight, would you do me a favor and open up those programs? And on the left-hand side of your programs is just some words there that we kind of use as an introduction to our journey that we're on, breakthrough. But there's some open space in your lower left-hand corner. And here's what I want you to do with it. If you're using your phone tonight and you didn't get a program, there's some spots in that U version to add notes. So you can just click on one of those and, and type a word in here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just write down one word that you know describes the biggest problem you are facing in your life right now. Just one word that helps you to, to remember that, that one thing that describes your biggest problem. It could be money, it could be marriage, it could be kids, it could be relationship, it could be job, whatever. Just one word that you will know represents your biggest struggle. All right, got it? All right. Now, as you are doing that, I'm going to ask you who's ready to dive into God's word tonight. Anybody ready? Awesome. Awesome. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, if you haven't thought of that one word yet, you can do that. But let's pray, and as we do, let's silence these crazy cell phones, and let's come together and let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you, God, for bringing us here. It, we're not here because we chose to be. We're not here because somebody invited us. We're here because you've called us here. And thank you for that love. Thank you for that expression. Thank you for your desire to grow in our relationship. And so, Father, we invite you into this place to come and to fill this place and, and to meet with us. 
to speak deep in our hearts and in our minds about who you are and who we are in you. And so, Father, we invite you here and we ask that you would speak with us. And, Father, we also just want to acknowledge that in your word you tell us that we have an enemy and his name is Satan. And he wants to do everything he can to distract us and keep us from growing in our walk. So we want to take the power and the authority that you give us and we want to declare and invoke the power of the kingdom and proclaim Satan, you and your demonic forces. You must leave in the mighty name of Jesus Christ by his power and his authority. And Father, we ask that you just create a wall of protection around us, that this would truly be where heaven and earth collide tonight, and we are inspired and encouraged by you. Father, we love you, and it's in your precious and holy name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, here we go. Let's dive in. Luke chapter 9, and as we've been doing, we're going to read a little bit, stop, unpack, read a little bit more, so you'll need a bookmark if you're using a physical Bible to kind of keep your spot there. So Luke chapter 9, let's do verse 10 again, and then verse 11. It says this, When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything that they had done. Then they slipped quietly away with them towards the town of Bethsaida. But the crowd found out where he was going, and they followed him. And he welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. All right, let's stop. Remember, last week we, we wrestled through the fact that Jesus sets his disciples loose, right? He says, you know, after months and months of following Jesus and watching Jesus and listening to Jesus and, and watching him heal people and cast out demons and raise the dead and, and all that stuff, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, okay, now you do it. <laughs> now you go, all right? And he gives them all power to heal diseases and cast out demons and all authority to heal and to cast out demons. He gives them this power and authority, but he says, now, now go and get out of here and go do what you've seen me do. And so the disciples leave on their little mission trip and they go and they, they heal people and they spread the good news of Jesus and they go all over the place and it lasts, you know, probably a couple of weeks uh, and then they, then they come back and when they come back from their mission trip, they just want to hang out with Jesus. And they want to say, hey, Jesus, and God did this, and he did this. They just want to celebrate. Maybe you've had those experiences where you're like, I just want to tell everybody what God did. And so they, they're trying to get Jesus' attention, uh, and let's spend some time, and let's celebrate, and let's talk about all of this. Uh, but it doesn't quite work because the crowd finds out that Jesus and his disciples are trying to quietly slip away over to Bethsaida. Now, Mark in his gospel gives us a little bit more information. He says this, then Jesus said, let's go away from the crowds for a while and rest. I mean, that's the point. It's like, you guys got back. I've been hanging out with all of these thousands of people, healing and teaching. We need a little rest. And so let's try to slip away a little bit. Uh, and there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. We call that hangry, right? It's a combination of hungry and angry, right, when you don't have time for that. And they left by boat for a quieter spot. But many people saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and met them as they landed. Seriously, dude, I can't get away from you. A vast crowd was there when he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he taught them many things. So Jesus just can't get away from the crowd. His reputation has gone so crazy. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. They all want to hear what he has to say. They all want to see what he's going to do next. Don't lose the humanity of the moment. How, 
how overwhelming emotionally this must be. You are so overwhelmed with people. And I don't know if you've had some personal experiences where there are just people everywhere. And in our house, we just say, I am peopled out, right? You're just like, I am done, all right? I need some quiet time. I'm going to lock myself in the closet for a little while. I just need to be left alone, right? We have these moments. And so here are the disciples. They just got back from this huge spiritual high, their mission trip. And they come back and they start to share with Jesus and the crowd's still there. And they're like, well, let's just get away for a little bit. And the crowd just follows them. And they're like chasing them on the shore as they're going in their boats. And they just can't get away. And the disciples are like, oh, my gosh, these people are driving me crazy. I'm getting a little cranky. I haven't had time to eat all day because there's so many people. Now I'm hangry. And it's like they're just going nuts. And what does Jesus do? He just has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And the disciples are like, just get, it, get them out of here, Jesus. But Jesus, our God, full of grace and truth, he, he welcomes them. He has compassion on them. His heart breaks for them. So instead of being frustrated like you and I would have done, like the disciples have to have been, he has compassion upon them. And he teaches the people all day long. And he begins walking through the crowd and he's healing people. And, and as evening begins to approach, the disciples and Jesus begin to sense that there is a problem. That the crowd is not prepared. Why? Because they just spontaneously have been chasing him. And so they're not prepared to spend the night they're not prepared to eat. Now, you and I are about to find out that this crowd is absolutely huge. Each of the four Gospels tells us that there are 5,000 men plus all the women and children. Just 5,000 men and the women and children. So when we begin to add the women and the children, this crowd is not just 5,000. This crowd is 10,000, maybe 15,000, maybe even 20,000, maybe even as much as 25,000 people. Because you got your wife, you got at least a kid. We're first century Jews. We got more kids, right? I mean, we're, we're talking a crowd. We're talking a lot, all right? We're talking a lot of people. Now, when you put that in perspective... This is the entire population of Evans. The entire population of Windsor just showing up and following Jesus everywhere. Right? This is a lot of people. And to give it one more perspective, here is a picture of 20,000 people at a candlelight vigil. Can I, can I give you some perspective? I mean, this is a lot of people. And they're there with Jesus and I just want us to bring this home. Don't lose the humanity of the moment. Don't lose how huge this is. And, and also add one more thing. The population of the region or the state, if you will, the province of Galilee at this time, the population is about 40,000. And there's like 20,000 in this crowd. So this is absolutely crazy. It's incredible. And now they're all hungry and they forgot supper. And that's what we're going to read next. Verse 12, it says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. Just listen to how ridiculous that statement is. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. Okay, stop. Uh, it's it's just ludicrous, the comment that they have for Jesus. Send them away. In other words, make them someone else's problem. 
Can you imagine the farmer in the area? A dude knocks on the door. He's like, yeah, I was wondering if I had something to eat. He's like, yeah, I might be able to find something. And then he opens the door, and it's not just one dude. It's not just one dude in a family. 20,000 people, us too. Us too. What do you... What do you got? He's like, no, no, sorry, locking the door. I can't, I can't help a crowd like that. A town, Bethsaida, is about 200 people. 200 people and 20,000 are going to be looking for lodging? Seriously? How ludicrous is this statement? It's just, it's absolutely nuts. All right? And so we've got this large crowd. Jesus has been teaching all day. It becomes night. The disciples are hangry. They're tired. They're hungry. They're just frustrated. Uh, and here are this crowd, and they're just like, would you just send them away? Can I just get them out of here? Um, they're not prepared. I'm not prepared. I just got back from a mission trip. I don't want to deal with this. Now, to add one more thing, the disciples don't have any money. They don't have any money because Jesus said, when you go on your mission trip, don't take any money with you. They just got back, so we know they don't have any money, right? And there's not like an ATM close or something. I mean, what are these guys going to do? Now, remember where we are, the city of Bethsaida. And in John's gospel, he helps us to know there's a couple of disciples that are from this town. Uh, Peter is, or Philip is from this town, and Andrew and Peter are from this town. So they do know the area well, all right, when they, when they make this statement. And so Philip, he lives in Bethsaida. Andrew and Peter are from there. Uh, and why is this important? Because John tells us something else that happens. John turn, or Jesus turns specifically to Philip, and he says this. Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? How do you find bread for 20,000 people? King Supers doesn't have enough. Sam's doesn't have enough. You could go to every King Super, every Sam's, every Safeway. You can even go to the yellow store, and you're not going to find enough bread. All right? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Now, catch what Jesus is doing. He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. I'm just messing with you, Phil. I, I, I know what I'm about to do here, but I want to test you. What is he testing for? He's wanting to know how Philip responds. So how does Phil respond? Phil, because we're like first name basis. We just, it's not Philip, it's just Phil. All right. He replies, it would take a small fortune to feed them. Now, I want you to know how much money this, in the original Greek, it helps us to understand that this is 200 denarii. Now, in, in Jesus' day, the average worker putting in a full day's wage, a full day's work, he would earn one denarii. It tells us it would take 200 denarii to feed this crowd. Eight months' wages. Okay, this is a big crowd. This is a lot of food, all right? And so I love the fact that he turns to Phil. Because Philip is the first disciple that, that, Jesus, or that sought out Jesus, that came looking for Jesus. Andrew and John were Jesus' first disciples, but they didn't go looking for him necessarily. John the, the, John the Baptist told them to go. Philip was the first one who just kind of comes to Jesus. He wants to follow him. And so Philip has seen it all. He's been there from the very beginning, from the turning water into wine to God healing people, casting out. Philip has seen it all. So if anybody is going to get this, it's going to be Phil. And so Jesus turns to Phil, and Phil looks at Jesus, looks at his checkbook, looks at the crowd, looks at Jesus, looks at his checkbook, looks at the crowd, 
And he's like, no. There is no way Jesus. The disciples, after all of the miracles they had seen, and all the miracles they just got done performing because they just got back from their mission trip, take one look at the crowd and one look at their wallet and say, it can't be done. Seriously, guys? After all you have seen, after all you have experienced, that is your response. God can't do this. God's not big enough to do this. And I love Jesus' response. We find it in Luke chapter 9, verse 13. Let's read it. I love the response. But Jesus said, you feed them. Let's just stop there. What? I just said that you can't be done. And he's like, yeah, go do it. What do you mean, go do it? It can't be done. Did you not just look at my checkbook? Just because I got checks don't mean I got money, right? That's a hard lesson. Maybe you haven't figured that out. I got checks. I'll just keep writing them. No, there's no money in the account, right? Right? And they're like, it won't be done. And Jesus is like, you feed them. Look at, look at, you feed them. Figure it out. All right? And then it continues. He says, but we have, here's the disciples, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus, we don't have enough money. Jesus, it's not possible. How do you even begin to start feeding 15 to 25,000 people? Where do you even start? Seems extremely overwhelming. And Jesus doesn't care about their financial excuses because all things are possible with God. Jesus believes that. The disciples, they're not quite sure, right? From their point of view, the problem seems too huge even for Jesus. It's just way too big. They look at the crowd. They say, I don't think so. This one might be the one, Jesus, that is too big for you. But i got to ask you guys, have they not seen Jesus heal people? Weren't they there when he calmed the storm with just a word? Weren't they there when he cast out the demons? Wasn't, weren't they there when he raised people from the dead? Did they just get back from a mission trip where God used them to perform unbelievable miracles? Didn't they just get done celebrating with Jesus all that God had done in them and through them? And yet here they are, a little hangry, and they look at this problem and they say, no, it's too big. Really? Why would feeding this crowd be too big for Jesus when nothing else was too big for Jesus? Why would that? Now, I want you to look down at the problem in which you wrote. I want you to look down at that one word. Go ahead and look at it. It's okay. Look at that one word that you wrote down. The situation you wrote down, you might be thinking exactly the same thing. Nope, this one's way too big. It's way too big for even you, Jesus. Maybe you look at your wallet. You look at your ability. You look at the situation. And you doubt anything can be done even with Jesus. This one's beyond me. So it must be beyond Jesus. Now let me ask you, why do we come to that conclusion? Why is it that we believe that this problem is too big, whatever that problem is? Why? And I'll tell you why. Because our miracles are stored in our short-term memory. Let me unpack that for a moment. We forget the miracles God has performed for us as soon as we need another one. 
As soon as we need another one, we forgot what he's already done. So we need a miracle. God performs it. Then we need another one. And instead of thanking God for the last one, instead of remembering the last one, therefore having faith, well, if God came through then, he's going to come through now. Instead of having that faith, instead of having that confidence, we look at the new situation and we panic. And never is that more true than when it comes to money. There's something about money. It's like kryptonite to our faith. It just has a way of defeating us, doesn't it? We look at our wallet and we think, even God can't do something like this, right? And when we come to a situation, especially when it's beyond our wallet, we can just freak out. We can have a moment where we have a crisis of faith. We look at the size of our bills and the size of our wallet and we say, Houston, we have a problem. And we begin to freak. Now, my friends, every one of you are facing or will face a situation, battles that are beyond your strength, beyond your ability, beyond your intelligence, beyond your pocketbook. And in your gut, your initial reaction will be to doubt that God will come through. The disciples, after all of the miracles they had seen, and don't forget all the miracles, they just performed themselves. God threw them. They just got done, and now they look at this and they say, it can't be done. And once again, the disciples prove they are just like us. I love the humanity. I love the honesty. I'm like, I can relate to these people because they see right here in the here and the now. They see from a very limited perspective, and once again, they turn their focus onto their problem instead of onto their Savior. Just like you and me. Now let's see what Jesus does. Second half of verse 14 and verse 15, he says, Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50. So the people all sat down. Now for you math majors... People who love math, let's think about that. Okay, I got 15,000, I divided by 50. It's okay, so about a group of 300, all right, just to kind of give you the quick math, all right? Now, John gives us some important information here. John says this, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke, spoke up. This is where we're going to get our loaves and our fish. He says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Can't you even hear the doubt in Andrew's voice? You just hear it. But what good is that? Now, I don't want to read too much into this, and I don't want to make this story say something that it does not. But I want to talk about the boy for just a moment. To me, I think it's obvious that he's here by himself. He would not be giving his family lunch away. Mama wouldn't appreciate that. And I doubt that the disciples just went over and stole the little boy's lunch. So I think it's safe to say that the little boy must have been an earshot of this conversation. And he's simply offering what he has. Because that's what children do. right? Children just can't seem to wrap their mind completely about what's going on. But they want to help. And so he offers what he has. And I imagine that the disciples, like many of us adults when we're having a deep, difficult conversation and a child throws out something, you dismiss it. Oh, that's too simple. 
That's just, no, you don't understand it. You're just a kid. And we have a tendency to dismiss children with a chuckle or a wave of a hand or a laugh, right? Because we're the adults and we just know better, right? We've experienced those sorts of moments where we've dismissed a child, right? It can't possibly work. It is way too complex for that simple answer, kid, go on, right? Anybody? Anybody going to be honest? Okay, every parent should raise their hand at this moment. All right, okay, just checking. So the little boy offers what he has, and it isn't much, but I'll give what I have, and I love that. And I love the fact that Jesus is going to use this act of faith by this small little child to put the adults in their place. Childlike faith. Jesus loves to talk about it. So this little boy hands his lunch to Jesus. Now, to clarify this little boy's lunch, it is a lunchable. All right? He is not holding a giant basket of bread. This is a lunchable that his mama gave him for lunch. It's pita bread. It's round. It's like this big. The fish aren't like 24-pound, you know, northern pike or trout or something. You know, they're not some huge fish. They're like minnows. They're little tiny, tiny fish that have been smoked or pickled or something. And mom plops in two little fish and five little pita breads. This is a lunchable, all right? That's not a lot of food. And let's see what Jesus does with them. Verse 16, it says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Okay, let, let me unpack this. Let me, don't lose the humanity of the moment. So Jesus takes these couple of minnows and, and some pita bread, uh, and he blesses God. He doesn't bless them. Our translation is a little weird there. Uh, he blesses God, and then he begins to hand them out to the disciples. Now, I, I want to give this little illustration here. All right, so I got... 12 baskets here. Bear with me. All right, 12 baskets. Okay, that one's got two in it. All right, count for... Okay, okay, we got 12, all right? How do you get 12 baskets from a Lunchable? you got to understand what's happening. Don't lose the humanity of the moment. So you got these 12 men that are moving between 300 groups of people. And they're handing the people the basket. And the people are reaching in and they're pulling out what they need. And the basket doesn't get any lighter. The food doesn't get any less. Now imagine with me or come to the understanding, my friends, this isn't one miracle. This is 20,000 miracles, okay? Because the food just keeps multiplying. It is a miracle for every single person that was there. And also realize Jesus isn't just giving them a snack. You know, when you're polite and someone's like, hey, I, I got a sandwich, would you like half? 
oh, no, no, no. How about, a, you know, court, and we're like taking a little bit of bite because we don't want to be rude. That's not what's happening here. Okay, you got to understand all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or at least those three Gospels, they all use the same Greek word. Remember when they write the original Gospels, they write them in the Greek language. And the Greek word that they use to describe how much they ate is kortazo. And kortazo means to gorge. This is Thanksgiving dinner. This is thank God I wore sweatpants. Right? This is push the pants down, pull the belly over the top, undo the button, whatever you need to do, gorge. Now, how much pita bread and fish do you have to eat before you are gorging yourself? I mean, you are more than satisfied. You have eaten beyond satisfaction to, oh my God, I hurt. Right? I mean, that is a lot that is happening here. This is real power in real life form. And so, and notice that uh, they are filled to satisfaction. And I love the fact that Jesus, from the very beginning, is you feed them. You feed them. And then he takes a little pita bread and the, and the minnows, and he's like, okay, I'm going to bless them, and you pass it out to these 15, 20,000 people. You do it. So they go and they just start sharing. And, and remember, he's testing their faith. He's wondering, at what point do the disciples have the aha moment? You know what I'm talking about? At what point, passing this out and passing it out, I'm really irritated with you people. I can't believe, you know, you're, I'm trying, I tried to send you away and you're... Here, have some food in here. At what point does it dawn on them? The basket's not getting any lighter. There's, there's still plenty of food in here. At what point are they like, oh my God, it's a miracle, right? I mean, at what point are these guys just going crazy? And it dawns on them that Jesus is doing something amazing. Because here's what Jesus is doing. He is testing them to see if they're beginning to think in the faith mode, not the reality mode. You just got back from your mission trip. Are you seeing the world differently now? God's doing miracles through you. Are you seeing the world differently now? Are you beginning to think from a faith mode? It's like Jesus is standing back going, think bigger, boys. Think bigger, boys. And he makes them the hand and the feet of the miracle. And that's the whole point so they can feel the weight of the plate. They can watch the people eat to their fill. They can smell the food. They can have their moments of epiphany of, oh man, a miracle is happening and I have it in my hands. And I get to be the hands and the feet of the miracle. And they have this moment where they realize that God is allowing them to be a part of the miracle. I think their mood changes. From that cranky, I need a Snickers bar and you people to go away, to how many people can I feed? And they probably start spurting, I got the next group, get out of my way. Right? I imagine a lot of stuff is happening. Now last week, my friends, I, uh, we talked about the fact that we have a tendency to doubt what God can do in us and God can do through us. And it's not really that we doubt God or that we doubt he can do it. 
It's that we come to places in our life that we simply believe God won't do that in my life, that he won't do that for me. He'll do it for somebody else, but he just simply won't do it for me because we don't believe in ourselves and therefore we don't put ourselves out there. We lack the confidence to put ourselves in situations where we're out of control. We absolutely hate the feeling of being out of control. And, and we doubt that God will show up when we're out of control, so uh, let's just not be out of control. We fear failure, and we fear looking foolish, and we fear being made fun of, and we fear being embarrassed, so we just play it safe. And we never risk, and we never go out there. And the problem with that is when you play it safe, you squeeze God out of the formula. Because God is never in the safe. Because God wants to push you outside of your comfort zone. And my friends, your spiritual journey will never take off until you jump outside your comfort zone. That there are things that God wants to teach you that you can only learn by doing. My friends, it is only when we take what we have learned and we make it part of our experience that we are transformed. That's the only way that thing works. Most people want the blessing without the work. They want God to do in them and for them far more than is reasonable based upon where they have allowed God to take them. And when we choose not to move, we're also choosing to miss out on all that God desires to do in us and for us. We grow as we put, our, as we put into action what it is that we have learned. For too long, Christianity and the church have made faith about what we know, about our brain, about knowledge, but our faith has to be experienced. And it cannot be experienced through someone else. You can't have secondhand faith. You can't borrow it from someone else. You cannot have faith through me. Faith is personal. And it can only be experienced personally. It can only grow personally. And so many people say, well, I, I just don't feel God. I don't feel him working in my life. I don't feel connected. I pray, but I don't feel anything. That's true. Maybe you've asked those questions yourself. I've asked those questions in my life. And my question back to the people asking those questions are always in the direction of, are you acting on what you already know? See, way too many times we think we're waiting on God when God's really waiting on us. Okay, God may not be speaking to you right now because he's already told you something to do and you haven't done, done what he's told you to do, so why would he tell you something new to do? And we're just hoping that God forgets what he told us because we didn't want to do it. So if I wait long enough, he'll give me a new revelation because he knows I'm not going to do the old revelation. Seriously? It does not work that way. So I ask questions like, where are you serving? Where are you risking? How are you living? How are you giving of yourself? And most of the time, the answers are, I'm not. Well, there's the answer to your question. That's why you don't feel God. If you aren't living a life after God, if you aren't living out your faith, if you aren't risking, if you aren't putting yourself out there, you won't be experiencing your faith. It's just the way that it is. And there's only so much you can know. There's only so much you can learn. The rest has to be experienced you got to get busy doing the work of the kingdom before you experience God moving in your life. And that requires being uncomfortable. 
And that requires risk, and it requires faith, and it requires movement. See, everyone wants answers to their question, but they're unwilling to be the answer for someone else's question. Now, let me unpack that, because I might have lost you. Let me make sure you're understanding. You're buying what I'm selling, all right? Which brings us back to the boy in the story. See, the boy is the unsung, unsung hero of the story. The truth is the boy was going to get taken care of either way. He had his lunch. He was prepared. He didn't have to give it. He's like, I, I got to take care of myself, right? I, I don't need to share with everybody else. I, I got me. I'm taken care of. But the boy wasn't just concerned about his needs. He was concerned about their needs. He didn't have to give. He chose to give. He chose not to be selfish. He chose to look out for someone other than himself. And if he did not give, there wouldn't have been a miracle. You've got to understand that every miracle God performs involves human beings. There's human involvement in every single one. We are God's representatives in this world, and He is always inviting you and I to be a part of His story. He wants to use us. He needs to use us. That's why we're here. That's the whole point. The boy had to give all that he could so that everyone else could receive a blessing. And the boy gave what he had, and others shared in that. And because he gave what he had, God multiplied what he had. And notice when the boy gave away what he had, he too ate his fill. See, we have this bizarre concept in our world where if I give, I lose. If I give, I'm losing. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. If I give, I get in return. That's the way that the kingdom of God works. He didn't lose by giving. He gained by giving. It would have been easy if the boy just kept quiet, acted like Andrew and said, well, how could God just use this little itty-bitty bit, my Lunchables? Well, I'm not even going to offer it. I got my own problems. I got my own issues. I got my own hunger to think about. Uh, you can look at your five loaves and your two fish and look at the crowd of 20,000 and say, there's no way I can help, so I'm just not going to. I got my own stuff. I got my own problems. And we can dwell on our own problems. You know what happens when you and I focus on our own problems? We get stressed out. We get depressed. We get overwhelmed. Maybe suicidal thoughts. We separate ourselves from the people who love us the most. We find some coping mechanism, whether that's a five-gallon bucket of ice cream or getting drunk or high or running away or whatever. We choose that. We choose a coping mechanism. And when we do this, life never, ever gets better. But here's the other option. We can find a new life. The new life that Jesus offers us. The new life that Jesus says is a life to the fullest. And you find that life by giving yours away. That's the crazy thing about the kingdom of God, the crazy thing about Jesus, the crazy thing about life and fulfillment. We think we are fulfilled by focusing on ourselves, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. We find the life worth living, and we find fulfillment by giving our life away. You find yourself by focusing on others. That's the truth of the kingdom. 
You find God as you love others. You find yourself as you give yourself away. You find your answers as you are the answers to someone else's problem. See, the boy was the answer to their question, to their situation. And as he served them, he ended up serving himself. My friends, when you serve others, there are at least four things that happen. The first thing that happens when you are serving others, you're giving your life away, you're loving other people, the very first thing that happens is it changes your perspective. Your problem doesn't go away, but you just look at it differently. You see it differently. You realize, I'm not the only person who has stuff. I'm not the only person with issues. We're all whacked. Yes, okay. I love company, right? It changes your perspective. You come to realize it's not the end of the world. Everybody else is plugging on through, so I can plug on through. It changes your perspective. The second thing that happens is you get to witness God moving in somebody else's life. And when you see God performing miracles and you see God moving and you see God providing for someone else, it gives you the confidence that God is going to do the same thing in your life. Now my confidence is up, my perspective has changed, and my confidence is up. And then the third thing is I become the answer to someone else's prayer. You know how powerful that is? I love it when people share a story. When they say, well, you know, I, I just, I really didn't want to come to church tonight. You know, I had enough. I just needed to stay home. You know, I had a migraine. I had whatever. Well, they're all really good excuses, but they're still excuses. And, and so I chose to stay home, and I chose to this and that. But tonight I chose to come, and when I came, I was able just to love on somebody. And somebody said, you don't know how long I was praying for somebody to do that. You know, you are the answer to, to my prayers when you loved me this way, you gave me a hug, when you gave me that encouragement. See, guys, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about other people. And when you give of yourself, you step outside of your own junk to be able to love somebody else, you can be the answer to their prayers. God, please, I just need somebody to encourage me today. I just need a hug today. And then you walk in. They say, hey, buddy, how you doing, man? Give me a hug. How are you? You answered their prayer. That's how God works. God does that. From the very beginning, God has chosen to accomplish his will through humanity. We're his hands and his feet walking out his will, which means you can literally be the answer to somebody else's prayer. And so when God moves you into their life to lead, to love, to comfort, to encourage, to whatever, you're answering that. By your response, you're being used by God for him to answer somebody's prayer. You get to be the miracle, just like these disciples. You get to be the miracle. The fourth thing. God clarifies in the midst of movement. Let me unpack that. When we are doers of the word, when we choose to step out in faith, when we choose to trust and follow Jesus, God answers our question. See, those times when we think we're waiting on God and God's really waiting on us, right? When those times we're like, okay, God, I heard step number one, but I really need step number two, three, and four before I will walk forward. Can you just confirm that was you and not like indigestion or something? Could you just confirm that that was you? I need two, three, and four. God does not work that way. He doesn't. God's like, I gave you step one and I'll give you step two 
after you complete step one. That's how God does that. And when you step out and you start loving people, and you start serving, and you start walking in that kingdom, you are obedient to that first answer, and you're serving other people, God begins to answer those questions in your life. I can't tell you the amount of times when I'm loving on someone, and I'm answering the question, and then out of my mouth comes an answer to my own question. And God's like, did you hear that? The Holy Spirit speaking in me to answer somebody else, and I get my answer. Because my heart is finally in a position to hear it. When I'm focused on my own stuff, my heart's not right. I'm wallowing in my own self-pity. I'm focused on me. All of a sudden, I'm focused on somebody else. It puts my heart in a whole new position. And God answers. He clarifies in the midst of movement the answer to your question, to your problem, to that thing you just wrote down in your program comes by serving other people. By being a part of the miracle. The young boy was more concerned about others than himself. And he is on to something because that is what the kingdom is all about. And when that's when you're all about, God answers. He moves. He clarifies in the midst of movement. Now, my friends, what we like to do around here is, as we sit around these round tables, is we like to pause the conversation from me and engage in the conversation with each other around those tables. And so we like to have a little group discussion and wrestle through them together. So I'm going to give you a question, and then I'm going to give you some instructions. The question is simply this. God invites you to be a part of His miracle here on earth. How does that change the way you feel about serving others? So maybe we can form some groups, maybe a four, five, and six, maybe a couple of groups kind of huddle up together. Balconeers, why don't you just kind of huddle up, we'll form some groups. Somebody just take the bull by the horn and begin the conversation. Don't wait for somebody else, just start it. And let's have some good conversation, and we'll come back in a couple of moments, all right? Go for it.